Welcome to this final episode for the week of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. This episode will cover Moroni chapter 9. As we jump in, uh, there's not as much faith, hope, and charity in this chapter as uh, 7 and 8, but it does end with Moroni encouraging his son to stay faithful. I keep, I keep messing up Moroni and Mormon's names, guys. I apologize. Mormon encouraging his son Moroni to stay faithful and to have hope despite what's going on. And what's going on when he writes this letter is some not very fun things. Um, and he gives us some details about what the Nephites and Lamanites are up to. And it is, I mean, it's terrible. It's, it's a Holocaust, uh, genocide level stuff going on that they're facing. And so when we read Mormon and Moroni talking about faith and hope and charity and the gifts of the spirit and, um, hope for a, a better tomorrow, uh, it carries some weight because these are men who lived in dark times and yet saw the light of the world. They saw the beacon that is Christ and his atoning sacrifice. Um, in verse five, he says, for so, for so exceedingly do they anger that it seemeth me that they have no fear of death and they have lost their love one towards another and they thirst after blood and revenge continually. So they, um, seem to, uh, I mean, well, what I want to go with this, I guess, is the beginning. What, what starts this is his noticing that they do anger. And in speaking about anger, um, this, well, this seems to be, first of all, a weird, strange, common side effect to people who are hardened in their hearts and how they react to being preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, rather than just being like, you know what? I don't believe that you, you go do your thing. I'm gonna do my thing. They, the spirit of the adversary that is in them when they are sufficiently hardened, uh, makes them act at not, not ambivalent, but as an enemy to righteousness because Satan is an enemy to all righteousness. So you think about how then, um, Jews in Jerusalem reacted to, Lehi, at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, they tried to kill him. Think about how the people in Ammonihah reacted to Alma and Amulek and the people converting. They kicked the men out and killed all the women and children. Um, this is just a, their, their anger overcomes them. And then they start wanting to be bloodthirsty and kill. Elder Lenji Robbins said, A cunning part of Satan's strategy is to disassociate anger from agency, making us believe that we are victims of an emotion that we cannot control. We hear, I lost my temper. Losing one temp- one's temper is an interesting choice of words that has become a widely use- used idiom. To lose something implies not meaning to, accidental, involuntary, or not responsible. Careless, perhaps, but not responsible. He made me mad. That is another phrase we hear, also implying lack of control or agency. This is a myth that must be debunked. No one makes us mad. Others don't make us angry. There is no force involved. Becoming angry is a conscious choice, a decision. Therefore, we cannot make the choice not to become angry. We choose. To those who say, but I can't help myself, author William Wilbanks responds, nonsense. 
Aggression, suppressing the anger, talking about it, screaming and yelling are all learned strategies in dealing with anger. We choose the one that has proved effective for us in the past. Ever notice how seldom we lose control when frustrated by our boss? But how often we uh, we do when annoyed by friends and family? Becoming angry in our reaction, like anything else, is a choice that we can choose. Um, C.S. Lewis said that if you were to turn on the light quickly in a basement and uh, you, you turned it on quickly enough you you and all the rats in the basement are still there so you see them all um, as opposed to if you were to go in there slowly and you made some noise and so they could all scurry and hide and, and then you turn on the lights and they're not there that doesn't mean that they're the rats aren't there any less and the point he was making is that oftentimes when we get angry for example we say, oh, I was caught off guard or um, I didn't expect this thing. Well, they're not expecting it. And so our natural reaction, if it is to lash out in, in violence and rage and anger and yell, that's not any better than if we would have had t- time to prepare and just hide our, our, our quote-unquote rats, right? But what we need to do is uh, exterminate those rats so that if someone surprises us and turns on the light real quick, the rats are not there because we have changed and our actions and our behaviors have changed over time and by the grace of God. Additionally, in verse 5, they lost their love. So here, here we do see a connection to chapter 7 and 8. They had lost their love for the fellow men. They would lost charity. Um. And once they have charity, no, there's no charity, then you are nothing because everything else fails. And what, what failed? Their government failed. Their society failed. The Nephite civilization failed. Everything, literally everything in their society failed. Verse 6, Mormon encourages his son, despite this, despite the fact that they've lost their love and that they're angry and they're trying to kill people, let us labor diligently for if we should cease to labor we should be brought under condemnation. And so he says, it doesn't matter what the other people are doing. We need to be righteous, son. We need to have charity, which then strikes you. This is a letter that Moroni would have had in his possession when he wrote Ether chapter 12, verse 37, when he prayed to the Lord and the Lord said, it doesn't matter to you if the Gentiles and if these people have charity. What matters is that you have charity. And it's something that's interesting to me because Something his dad had already taught him. Look at these evil people. That doesn't matter. We need to have charity. Um, then he t- Mormon tells us some pretty terrible things about what the Lamanites are doing and the Nephites are doing about, um, I mean, cannibal cannibalization, uh, where the, the Lamanites are forcing men and women or women and children to eat their the flesh of their fathers, and then the Nephites are. Uh, torturing women and uh, raping and murdering them. And this is like a widespread thing that's going on. As you read this, you see that this is a widespread, not like in secret type of thing that's going on. And you can see the depravity to which the Nephites have fallen. And again, I mentioned this in the, in the previous episodes this week. This is a people who in chapter seven had a, at least a, a group of people who were uh, peaceable walkers among the, among men. They uh, 
were believers in Christ. This is a, a group of people who 400 years, roughly 350 or so years before this, Christ had visited and had walked among. And they had fallen. And now you see, when you read Moroni chapter uh, 9, and then you go back to Mormon writing in verse or in chapter 6 of Mormon, where he says, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could ye have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? They had fallen so far and so hard. And... Uh, Mormon says, I don't want to look, I don't want to speak too much and, and, um, focus too much on what, what they're doing. But his point is they've fallen. And he says that only a few years have passed away and they were civil and delightsome people. And Moroni chapter six, Moroni tells us about the type of society that the church had, at least, in terms of taking care of and caring for one another. And now, in just a few years, they they had fallen and become uh, what we read about in Moroni chapter 9. In verse 19, he says, And they had become strong in their perversion, and they are all alike, brutal, sparing none. And I, it made me think of a C, another C.S. Lewis quote. He talks about that... Um, Let's see if I can just if I can quote it uh, close enough here. It says how gloriously, how monotonously uh, this, how monotonously similar, and the same are all the tyrants, and how gloriously different the saints. I, I talked about a common side effect of of hard-hearted people. They become angry, and they become violent, and they become enemies of righteousness. They're all the same. All the tyrants throughout history and throughout time. That's, they all become the same, but when we are with Christ, we are more free to uh, choose. We are free to be individuals. And, and it seems contrary, and the world makes, you, makes it sound like, hey, no, be free and do whatever you want to do. That's what makes you can make you free, is don't listen to these commandments. Those are all ridiculous. But uh, it's actually the exact opposite. Additionally, something else I want to point out is Mormon says that the Nephites depraved, de- deprived the, the women of the, what's uh, that which was most dear and precious above all things, which is chastity and virtue. Other Richard G. Scott uh, said this, I solemnly testify that when another's acts of violence, perversion, or incest hurt you terribly against your will, you are not responsible and you must not feel guilty. You may be left scarred by abuse, but those scars need not be permanent. In the eternal plan in the Lord's timetable, those injuries can be made right as you do your part. If you are now or have in the past been abused, seek help now. Talk to your bishop in confidence. His calling allows him to act as an instrument of the Lord on your behalf. He can provide a doctrinal foundation to guide you to recovery. An understanding and application of eternal law will provide healing you require. He has the right to be inspired of the Lord on your behalf. He can use priesthood keys to bless you. But again... As he, the quote starts out, you are not responsible for that. And so I, I think a good clarification that that's not what Mormon's saying. He's saying that chastity and virtue are precious above all things. And that the, the uh, perpetrator had, was then losing those things, not the, um, not the victim. Verses 18 and 19, uh, Mormon tells us that these 
Nephites are now past feeling. He says, uh, they're without principle and without feeling. Elder Neil A. Maxwell uh, said, our capacity to feel controls our behavior in many ways. And by inaction, when our feelings prompt us to do good, we deaden the capacity to feel. It was Jesus' striking sensitivity to those needs, to the needs of those around him that made it possible for him to respond in action. At the other end of the spiritual spectrum are individuals such as Nephi's erring brothers. Nephi has noted that their increasing insensitivity to things spiritual. Uh, God has spoken unto you in a still small voice, but you are past feeling that you could not feel his words. And in chapter 8, in t- verses 20 and 29, we talked about, and Mormon mentions that the Spirit had ceased striving with them. This is a choice. These are lot, lifelong choices and um, a strings, strings of choices that we make that lead us to spiritual sensitivity or insensitivity. But what it does in the end is if we choose to not follow Christ, not follow the Spirit, we lose our agency. Why? Because if we're not worthy of the Spirit, and if we can't, if we are past feeling the Spirit, we can't possibly follow the Spirit. We don't have that choice. As we're righteous and we're obedient, the Spirit can speak to us. And in that moment, we have we do have a choice. We have a choice to follow or not to follow. And if we do follow, we'll be added on. And if we uh, don't follow this that, then we'll take a step back. But that's the only that's when we have true agency and true choice. Uh, by, but by losing the spirit, we no longer have that choice. If you are sitting in a room and you haven't taken piano lessons your entire life and someone says, uh, I'll give you a million dollars if you play, uh, this song, uh, some Beethoven piece, you don't have the choice to do that. You can't do it. But if throughout your life you had been practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and making little choices here to practice an hour every day, to do this each and every day, to over and over uh, repeated choices and actions, then when they sat you down and they said, I'll give you a million dollars if you can do this, you have a choice now, right? You actually could do You have You have the ability to do it. President Packer, in talking about uh, the loss of the spirit and being past feeling, said, The world grows increasingly noisy. Clothing, grooming, and conduct are looser and sloppier and more disheveled. Raucous music and obscene lyrics blast, blasted through amplifiers while lights flash psychedelic colors characterizes the drug culture. Variations of these things are gaining wide acceptance and influence over our youth. This trend to more noise, more excitement, more contention, less restraint, less dignity, less formality, is not coincidental nor innocent nor harmless. The first order issued by a commander mounting a military invasion is the jamming of the channels of communication of those he intends to conquer. Irreverence suits the purposes of the adversary by obstructing the delicate channels of revelation in both mind and spirit. Now I want to stop here and say that this was said by President Packer in 1991. Add in social media. Add in the addiction to outrage that people tend to have. Now go back to Mormons saying that they were they had become angry. That anger led to them being past feeling. Elder Lynn G. Robbins taught, anger is a choice and the way that we act is a choice. There are, there's a lot to be angry about and it's easy to be angry about the, a lot of things that are going on in our countries and in the world and decisions that are being made that are... And the world seems out of control and anger seems to be the soup du jour. And on social media, that anger is, is amplified and echoed. 
the first order issued by a commander mounting a military invasion, a commander who is, uh, what did what did President Nelson say? Quadrupling his efforts. Satan is quadrupling his efforts. The first issue ordered by a commander mounting a military invasion is the jamming of the channels of communication of those he intends to conquer. Don't let your communication channel to heaven get jammed. Mormon then turns to some hopeful message to his son Moroni. <laughs> he tells him, hey, all these people are doing wicked, terrible things and they're all lost and past feeling. But let me end by saying, my son, be faithful in Christ. And may not the things which I have written grieve thee to weigh thee down, but may Christ lift thee up. And I think that's the, the pinnacle there. No matter what's going on in your life, in your community, in your world, Christ can and will lift you up as you turn to him because of his atoning power and his atoning sacrifice. Elder Maxwell said, Our hope, our everyday usage of the word hope includes how we hope to arrive at a certain destination by a certain time. We hope the world economy will approve. We hope for visit of a loved one. Such typify our sincere but proximate hopes. Life's disappointments often represent the debris of our failed proximate hopes. Instead, however, I speak of the crucial need for ultimate hope. Ultimate hope is a different matter. It is tied to Jesus and the blessings of the great atonement. Blessings resulting in the universal resurrection and the precious opportunity opportunity provided thereby for us to practice emancipating repentance, making possible what the scriptures call a perfect brightness of hope. Moroni confirmed, what is it that you shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you, you shall have a hope through the atonement of Christ. Real hope, therefore, is not associated with things mercurial, but rather with things immortal and eternal. Verse 26, Mormon says, And may the grace of God the Father, whose throne is on high in the heavens, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who sitteth on the right hand of of his power until all things shall become subject unto him. Be and abide with you forever. Amen. This is a father's words and perhaps some of his last words to his son. Think of them in that way and how precious these are to Moroni. And he shared them with us, knowing that they could help you in your day. The word grace, as used in the scriptures, refers primarily to the divine help and strength we receive through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to needing grace for your ultimate salvation, You need this enabling power every day of your life. As you draw near to your Heavenly Father in diligence, humility, and meekness, He will uplift and strengthen you through His grace. Our faith, hope, and charity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, making and keeping sacred sacred covenants, and enduring to the end. What that all, that all that, all that does for us is give us access to the redeeming power of the atonement of Jesus Christ and his grace. No matter what is going on in the world, we can have that hope. And we can be sure of that hope. And that is the message that I think Moroni is, wants to share with us. And he's going to continue that even in chapter 10. As he lived in a dark world all alone. He saw his people die and he said, I saw, I've seen your day. There's going to be dark times and there's going to be people who are wicked. Look at the wicked people in my day killing and murdering and and de- depraving depriving people of chastity and um and all the like you're going to have the same things but have hope turn to Christ turn to the light of the world and you will you will have it you will have him he's waiting for you to turn to him thank you for listening this week i look forward to finishing out the book of mormon with you next week 
as we study together Moroni chapter 10. Good luck in your uh, studies this week. I look forward to hearing from you, and we'll talk soon.